Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. All right, it's the good stuff. Yeah. Over there is your host, Mr. Ryan Bull. Howdy. How are you, sir? Doing well. I'm the other host, Richard Lusk. This is Laugh number 158. And the movie that we're going to review this week is The Shallows, starring Blake Lively. Hey, sis. Hey! I just want to let you know I made it here. Mom was right. It took forever to find, but it's perfect. What did you say the name of this place was? This is paradise. The IMDb summary of this movie says that a young surfer clings to a giant rock 200 yards from shore as a great white shark circles, circles her, and it says, in Australian waters. Now, I thought that was odd, given the fact that everybody else speaks Spanish, and they make a big point about her not being able to speak Spanish. So IMDb, I think, has it wrong. I think they got confused because... The movie was filmed in Australia. So it takes place in Mexico, though. Technically, Blake Lively is in Australian waters, but her character, Nancy, is in, I believe they say, off the coast of Mexico, right? In some unknown hidden beach somewhere. Doesn't quite have a name that we know of yet. And that's part of the, uh, one of the MacGuffins in the movie, one of the verbal MacGuffins, anyway. This is directed by Juan Colette Serra who previously did the movies Unknown, Orphan, and uh, I think Nonstop. Yeah. Run All Night, Liam Neeson, kind of like thriller movies. Yeah, he did quite a few movies there with Liam Neeson. Uh, And it was, uh, the cinematography in this was by Flavio Martinez Labiano, who did Nonstop and Unknown with him, but he also did the awesome Time Crimes. Have you seen that movie? Along with Looper, it's my favorite, uh, might be my favorite time travel movie. Time crime. That sounds familiar. This movie involves a woman, a girl, young uh, young woman, young lady, uh, being menaced by a shark. Do so, you ever be, a, have you been menaced by an animal? Uh, I've been menaced by many an animal, but I don't think I've ever been menaced by sharks. However, Jaws was a formative movie in my youth. Came out when I was about 10, and I snuck around to see it somehow. I, I know my parents wouldn't let me see it in the movie theater. And for some reason I thought because it was rated R, but it turns out it was rated PG. And I think they might've revised that rating. My Probably. parents went to see it. My dad came back and talked about it. And then we also went to the beach that summer and I didn't go in the water. <laughs> so this movie is uh sort of trying to operate in the same waters, so to speak, metaphorically in terms of being a shark attack movie. Mm-hmm. Um, does it pull it off? Does, is it for you? Did it provide the same sort of menace that you would expect in a 
shark attack movie or a shark movie. Yeah, and I think, though, when we talk about shark movies, we've got to break it down. There are definitely two genres of shark movies, right? There are the realistic shark movies, and then there are the bonkers ones. The realistic ones would be more like open water and Jaws. So I think this has definitely fallen into the realistic camp. This isn't really? the, the, this isn't in the bonkers camp of Sharknado. Shark Lake. Shark Lake, yeah. Uh, Deep Blue Sea, as much as I love that film. Or uh, did you see the trailer that the Twitter feed put up last night for Sky Sharks? <laughs> yeah. I can't. Is that a real thing? Or yeah. is that a fake pseudo uh, trailer? Oh, oh, no, no. That's definitely a real thing. I would argue that this movie sort of goes into those other bonkers realms, though. Okay, we can get into that. Yeah. I would argue this is more realistic, and I enjoyed the movie. I didn't think it took any super fantastical leaps in logic. I have some issues with Blake Lively's injuries and how long she survives out there on the rock. But overall, I like this film. I was into it. This is definitely, for me, uh, my favorite from director Colette Saras, uh, film war. Mine too. You haven't seen any of his <laughs> No, others. I haven't seen any I've seen most of his other stuff and I haven't been terribly impressed with it. I thought this was just a solid movie. It comes in at 87 minutes. I didn't think it really dragged. It it hit all the marks that it needed to hit. Told a little bit of backstory so we understood character motivations. And, you know, kept it light uh, story-wise. You know, mostly it was action. It's beautifully filmed. Yeah, I, I was um, impressed with that. I thought the special effects were also good. This was a small-budget film. Uh, I think it came in around $17 million production budget. I thought the CGI shark stuff overall was really good. There were only a couple times where I felt like they were in a big water tank, green screening it. So I was very happy with this film. It's interesting that you say that because I just saw an interview with uh, Wom Colette Sarah, and apparently 90% of the movie was CGI. Uh, he said it was a nightmare for the script supervisor. For instance, The Rock mm-hmm. that she's on. And then there's a buoy that also is important. They were never on in the same frame together at any point. Uh, so what he did was, as part of his uh, the way he presented the movie, was he would film a live scene, and there would be for every scene or every sequence there would be actual real footage, and then pretty much everything else was CGI. Oh yeah, she was surrounded with blue screen. Now I didn't notice it as much. And so this is a function of CGI getting a lot better. And then also the way they present it in the movie. Wow. I am <laughs> shocked. I was sure. Cause we saw this movie separately. I was sure you were going to come in and talk about the CGI and how noticeable it was. It, it was, it, it was noticeable because it had to be because of the things that they had the shark doing, uh, and the way that the shark behaved. Um, oh, so I knew wait, it wasn't wait. a real shark. You weren't bothered by the background replacement stuff. No. Not at all. Oh, my God. You the, were? Oh, to me, that was the easiest stuff to spot. But okay. I also notice it a lot when I see characters riding in cars or trains and they have to CG in, you know, the window mm-hmm. plates. Uh, you know, they're the backgrounds. They have, right, they have right. plates. That's that's just what they call the footage. Um, so I thought, you know, a lot of this was very noticeable and you could tell the different camera work. Uh, the lighting would change. I mean, it wasn't super noticeable. And I realize I pay a lot of attention to that. That to me is always, I thought, the stuff that you like to point out. So I for do you like to, to say that that wasn't noticeable. They did an amazing <laughs> job. <laughs> no, if I get bumped out of a movie, it'll generally be because of CGI. But it'll be in movies that where I didn't expect it, and then the CGI is so bad. For instance, I'm thinking of Captain Phillips when they use CGI to show the ship moving across the ocean. It looked like a cartoon, and to me, that bumps me out of the movie. 
this didn't happen like that. They, I think they used filters uh, on the screen, or they maybe po- post-produced in some uh, something to do with um, uh, aspect, not aspect ratio, uh, depth of field, mm. and uh, that that changed for me a lot of the problems that you might have had in uh, other movies where it's it's super clear and they work really hard to make it photorealistic, but it still looks like a painting. And this, it didn't happen like that for me, except for sometimes with the sharks. The, the then, underwater yeah, stuff, the underwater I think. Stuff was, but, I mean, that you just figure they kind of have to do that. But even then, it was still, I mean, they were using it in such a way to produce scares. And other things were happening on the screen. They weren't lingering on any of those things underwater. So This sounds like it's going to be a positive review out of you. <laughs> I mean, to have a positive review come out of Fanboy, no shocker. <laughs> But Are you surprised? I'm. Surprised. You thought I was going to come in here and ravage the film? I, I didn't think you would be horribly positive about it. And then especially when I started saying this is one of the more realistic shark attack movies. Oh, yeah. I have. A, there are huge problems with the realism of it. I mean, we'd have to save some of this for later. But I had issues with the character. Of the of shark? The, of the shark, yeah. You, you didn't feel his I, motivation? No, I don't think you should ascribe... Uh, you know, a ba- I don't think the shark needs a backstory, and that it should have a malevolent nature. I think that things like that are more frightening to me when nature acts, or when creatures in nature act like creatures in nature, as opposed to having some uh, ulterior motive or some some sort of motivation that she goes back that, that the film tries to manufacture out of it. I think it's they, like the difference between Jaws one and Jaws two. Okay, but they very briefly hint at what the bat story is and the shark's motivation in this film. They try to be subtle with it, but they still... All right, as the movie progresses, though, it becomes more and more apparent because the shark is paying so much attention to this girl when one one might argue that there's... There's... There's, There's other things that that it should be interested in. Okay. It shouldn't necessarily it's it's like um I don't know if you go to the buffet and and a olive falls off of the buffet table, you're not going to get on the floor and crawl after it. And that's kind of what I thought was going on with this movie. Yeah, but doesn't this kind of have to work because horror is that subversion of the ordinary and turning it into something horrific? You know, Nightmare on Elm Street takes dreams and makes them into something horrific. Since this is an animal movie, I guess we could point out Cujo, you know, lovable dog that goes psycho crazy and terrorizes people and keeps them trapped in that car. Yeah, but I think even with Cujo, it's acting like what a crazy dog would do. It's not acting like a human being. It's, it doesn't have human motivation. But I mean, at some point, don't you feel that that dog should have just left them alone in that Yeah, movie? maybe. I don't really remember in, the Cujo In the much movie the same Cujo way much. that but this it, movie, you have to figure, why does the shark want this girl so much? It just, you know, is unrelenting. That is just part of, a, of the horror movie trope. I, I get that, but a, a movie that transcends that is, like, I mean, the direct comparison would be with the movie Jaws. And in the movie Jaws, they they bring the fight to the shark. And so when the shark acts out, I'm not, I'm not worried about spoiling the movie Jaws because it's from 1975 you know, or whatever. I'm not going to spoil it in a big deal. So you can, get, you can wipe the look you off your face. Spoil it if you want to. <laughs> I'm not spoil gonna, it if you want I'm not going to sneak in a spoiler for Jaws, but they do go after and try to seek out this shark. And the shark has a feeding ground. I mean, 
there are human decisions that put uh, that are put into place that allow for the shark to continue to feed in this area. So um, when they go and sh- take the fight to the shark, the shark is just reacting back at them. And, and so I see that as like, a, you know, in a way it's being cornered, even though you can't corner something in the ocean. So it has a different set of motivations that are keep, that keep in line with what a shark might do in its natural habitat. It's horrifying because of its size and it's horrifying because of its power and because it lurks underneath the ocean. This movie is a little bit different in that the shark seems to have a personal vendetta or personal motivation against uh, Nancy that I don't think the movie necessarily earns. So in terms of story, I, I mean that that's one of the fantastical elements that I was that pulled me out a little bit. Okay, I I, I think it creates a plausible reason. I don't for think that. it's plausible, but anyway, we it, can it, talk about. But that. it does have those things in there. You, you're. I, I think you're trying to argue two different things: motivation, a, a lack of proper motivation, and also that it doesn't have any motivation at that way. I think it's completely plausible that the shark would behave that way and defend its territory. That's not. That's not the. Sh- that's the shark's motivation. It's defending its territory. Uh, okay. And the fact that she she is unable to leave its territory. Mm is something that's beyond the scope of the shark to understand. Mm, yeah, I think so, you're giving it too much credit. But No, I think the geography is set up in such a way that that is completely plausible. I, Whether or not you like it, that's no, something I, different. No, I, I disagree that that's true. I, I, I think that the shark would have not been interested in her, and, it, and the movie goes out of its way to say that the shark has something against her, and the shark has something against human beings in general. No. So. No, okay. no, no, All right. no. You saw a different movie than I did. I'm they reacting to things that I don't really want to talk of, about. They had specific lines of dialogue that contradict what you're saying. I can think of specific lines of dialogue to prove what I'm saying. <laughs> and then there's also certain visual things that happen in the movie that sort of prove what I'm saying. So, I mean, but I, again, I'm trying to talk around it because I don't want to ruin the experience for the moviegoer. This is just some I, of the I, things I know. That the, the, the problem, though, is you do that and then you put out this argument and the only way I can counteract your argument is I have to get into spoilers. Well, we can come back to spoilers so, because there's some other I'm things I'm glad I want to you talk took about. four minutes to put out your thesis, and now I can't rebut it because. No, I think I'd you did to. a pretty effective job of rebutting it, but you're you're okay. saying that there's a different. You you had a different takeaway from the movie than I did. I don't necessarily think that yours is wrong. I don't think that the movie did enough to earn what you're saying, but that's just my takeaway from I the think movie. the movie wants to have a close reading of it. And and if this was a serious drama, we'd be fine with a line or two of dialogue that explains all of that. All right. But I think because this is a summer popcorn film, we want to have things made more obvious to us before we're willing to give them credit. Wait, what? What? You think this I is want a, it. this is a summer popcorn film? So right, you want things want to be, be more direct? More. I I'm saying it was more. subtle, but they did it. They had those lines in there. If this was a Paul Thomas Anderson film. And he has one or two lines explaining character motivation for the antagonist. You'd be completely fine with that because it's Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm saying that some of the motivations they ascribe to the shark are not realistic motivations. Okay. But one of the things that makes the movie work is the initial scene. Because on the way in, I was thinking the initial scene in Jaws is a key scene. It's the first you know, three minutes of the movie. A girl gets attacked by a shark. She winds up, I think there's a buoy involved as well. So I think this movie is playing on those tropes and it's calling back to that. I was thinking as I was going in, how is this movie going to 
pull me into the movie? How is the movie going to work in such a way so that the initial scene has a payoff? And uh, given the scenario that it's woman against shark and that you know that that's going to be the conflict throughout the entire movie, I was surprised at how well they did that. And they used the, uh, I guess, uh, what do you want to say, found footage sort of thing to talk around it. It was an effective jump scare mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie. And it set up a degree of plausibility that it totally countermands later on when it calls back to that same scene. But nevertheless, yeah, yeah no, I uh, thought it was a pretty good job. It was all before the titles. And it pulled me right in. I was like, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, I agree. The found footage thing. Uh, was a smart little move. I also think they waited a little while to get her to the beach was smart because it gave her a little bit of backstory. If they just cut to her getting ready to jump in the ocean and go uh, surfing, I don't think that works nearly as well. I cared for Blake Lively's Nancy. <laughs> okay. That's good because I... You didn't I, like Nancy? No, I thought she was stupid. I thought I, I thought she was inane and ridiculous, and that, and I I was thinking I'm gonna have a problem with this movie because of the decision she's making now. Before before you even know that there's a shark, although you know there's a shark because you're going to a movie about a woman and a shark. But in the in the tale of the movie, before she knows that there's that conflict, she's doing a bunch of I think pretty stupid and ridiculous things. I'm wondering if some of those things are intentional in terms of making a a metaphorical point or setting up a thematic point. Like, do you think that the predatory nature of mankind and, uh, or men and women is, uh, is at play here because it's a male that brings her to this secluded beach and they're sort of alone. I mean, well, they're absolutely alone, but they're in this weird area mm-hmm. of you know Mexico. And then there's this language barrier. And then when she gets to the beach, there's some other surfer bro dudes there, and she kind of keeps her distance from them. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this is intentional, and is it effective? I think this was definitely intentional, and I definitely think the filmmaker is playing on our expectations of um, kind of the hostile, you know, film format of, you know, the foreigner in a foreign land, and, you know, especially the vulnerability of women to male predators in there. You know, movies like Turista that came out about 10 years ago, you know, plays on that idea. But it it never goes anywhere, which I kind of like. And, you know, it seems like every week now we're bringing up Chekhov's gun, but you were expecting there to be a menace at some point, and it never occurred. Well, I'm wondering... And I do think the director is trying to say something about the civilized world versus, you know, the wilderness and and where the real danger lies. And I kind of like that he's not trying to say that the wilderness is just as violent and savage as the civil world. You know, that this is purely a shark attack movie. I like that. I like that simplicity. Right. I'm just, I'm kind of wondering if they did enough with that theme though. I felt that tension with every encounter. With every time she sees a male. Yeah. Every male encounter that she has, even her own father, Mm. there is that tension in that um, power that's, that people try to exert over her whether for good or bad purposes. Father is played by actor Brett Cullen. I thought he was Chris Cooper. I thought that was Chris Cooper too. And I thought, wow, they did they CGI out some of the wrinkles in Chris Cooper's face? Huh. Nope. It's a guy named Brett Cullen. And then his her little sister is uh someone named Sedona Legge or Leg. 
two G's, two E's. She and was fine. I, I mean, uh, but she has to be the focus of the sequel if there is a sequel, right? Oh, you think there's a, a sequel to this? The Shallowers? <laughs> it made 17, the 17 and a half million on a budget of what? Would you say seven or eight? 17 million, yeah. It made 17 million, but what was the budget? 17 million. Oh, it, it, it made, made back, back its, its production in the opening. budget. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. And they're hoping that this has some decent legs at the bot's office. You know, only has about 40% drop off from week to week. And then it should do really well streaming wise for quite a while. And I even think in, uh, international marketplace this movie could do well you know shark tats generally play well most of the world is close to big bodies of water there's not a whole lot of dialogue that you have to be able to pay attention to you know the it's australian a australian market it, it's a very huge. visual film uh, apparently this upcoming week is discovery channel shark week it's going on right now oh, oh well, yeah we're in the as, midst as of this it. podcast goes as out, this yeah. podcast is going on we're uh, recording this on a monday so Apparently, I think that's going to help this movie do pretty well. I bet it ends up finishing above forty million in the U.S. and probably that again for international. So this is a you know solid hit. It becomes Blake Lively's best movie. Uh, wasn't she in the town? Yeah, she was in the town. But that wasn't really her movie. She was in it. She was. Come on, that's a poll. <laughs> All right. The only other thing I can remember her being in is uh, Age of Adeline and. Yeah, she hasn't been in a lot. Uh, what was the superhero one? The the Green Lantern she was in. She has. Uh, she's from Gossip Girl. The girl from Gossip Girl. She has three children, and they had to wait for her to have her third baby in order to begin filming of this movie. Wow. So yeah, it's pretty impressive when you think about the shape she's in. Yeah. So not impressive though when you think, oh, she's had three kids. Well, she is married to Ryan Reynolds, so of course she's <laughs> having the babies. All right. I agree with you that the exposition early on was key and the way that they bring her to this area. I really liked, and it's one of the more effective uh, usage of on-screen technology that I've seen, the use of uh, FaceTime and Instagram to deliver exposition in a short amount of time. Because it's usually in a movie like this that technology pulls us out of that world. And it's harder now to think about movies existing in the real world like in real time that don't have that because we see it all the time mm -hmm. and especially in being high school english teachers or in high schools where kids are constantly into their phone and that's going to go on for a long time in the foreseeable future so most movies are going to have to reference that in some kind of way or ignore it completely or set it in a prior time this movie takes it head on and i think the graphics surrounding it were effective i think the uh, interactions she has with her family are pretty effective. And also it's a pretty easy way to show the connection that she has to the past, to this area mm -hmm. and why she's actually going there. And well, then also setting her up as the lonely traveler. So, well, I mean the camera is supposed to show us what, you know, the characters are seeing or interacting with in the environment. And for most of film history, we haven't had to deal with cell phones, especially texting, mm -hmm. you know, and being able to look at pictures and everything. So it used to be very easy to have a telephone conversation for a character because they were getting to talk to someone and it was easy enough to just pipe in the audio from whoever they're talking to. But now you have to show text messages. That is the way people live their life. And right. there have been quite a few movies. I think The Social Network was the first one to show text messages on the screen. 
and kind of have them fade in and fade out. The most effective use prior to this, Chef. Oh, yeah, Chef did it. But a lot of movies are doing it in ways where it's hard to remember exactly what they did. And, I mean, there's not one definitive style yet for how to show phone conversations. And part of that's also going to be because phone technology is going to constantly be changing the apps Mm. that people are using, um, even just the lingo. Like she uses a fair amount of emojicons in her messages. Emojicon? Emojis. Aren't they called emojicons? I don't know. Yeah. The little like smiley face and stuff. I just call them emojis. Yeah. I thought thought that's short for emojicon. Oh, all right. So, but she uses some of those. Is that the way we're going to be testing in the future? You know, I, I read an article somewhere that said uh, Facebook is predicting that we will no longer have the written word. It's yeah. all going to be visual. Everything will be visual from now on. Yeah, possibly, but I, mean, I don't ar- believe ar- it. Ar- aren't pictures in and of that? I, I also like she was doing the FaceTime on there, and you saw what she could see on the phone, and also what her father could see on his phone. Right, and so, pre- pre- you know, you had three different images up there on the screen, but it was never hard to tell what was going on in any of the three. The composition was very good, the layout of all of that, and it was done in a very non-distracting way. Like I think if you talk to an ordinary person and wanted to talk about those scenes, they wouldn't even really remember what was going on. It just it, it feels enough like real life. They're so used to having a phone out in front of them and also paying attention to the world in front of them that those two separate images blend together so well. Additionally, you can keep or have multiple sets or settings or locations in one place. Mm -hmm. And this movie is really important that I called it a pocket drama before we've talked about this word or phrasing, which I don't even know if it's a thing, but she's in this one beach. And if they were to go outside of the beach and show this conversation happening in another, like, on a, on a phone and a regular phone, a wired phone, and you go back and forth between the two places, then as the audience, you're pulled away from that beach. Oh, yeah. And it's too big of a distraction. But here, you're able to stay right on that beach with her, and you're able to maintain that, that setting. Part of what makes this movie work is, if it works, is her performance. And your reaction to her performance, I think part of what makes it 13, a PG-13 movie instead of R, is there isn't a whole lot of blood and gore. I mean, there are parts that are blood and gore, but then you see, you you see her reaction to certain things. Her reacting to the pain that you see in her face when you see that horrific, uh, you know, injury that she mm-hmm. has, and trying to fix that. I think story. that that was pushing the boundaries of R with what they were showing with her leg injury and uh, showing to showing her tending to that wound. No, I was surprised my, that they could get away with that. My, I, I, I don't really. My my feeling about R-rated movies mostly have to do with sex and not necessarily gore. And I, I don't think it was gory. There's a lot of there was a lot of blood, but I thought that that was uh I don't know, metaphorical blood. Like I think he was using it for a purpose to paint a picture as opposed to linger on it, lingering on it like you would in an R-rated like, slasher torture film. I, don't know, I felt like you, you saw it pretty well in, you know, in pretty good detail. I think having her have that little monologue there where she's talking herself through it, saying, you know, it's no big deal. Oh, we've shot you up with Novocaine, mm-hmm. you know, and all that. She's playing a psychological trick on herself, but isn't she also playing that on the audience where we're going, oh, it's not as bad. Does Maybe. that lessen the effect? I don't know. I I didn't really I w- I didn't have a whole lot of empathy for her personally anyway so it didn't 
it didn't affect me in the same way that it okay. might. Yeah. I had seen movies earlier in the, I, I'd, I saw Neon Demon and Free State of Jones. And sure. there were some pretty horrific things. Well, they're both R-rated movies. And there were some pretty horrific things that happened in those movies. So to me, that was just sort of mild and tame. But maybe it's just because I had just seen those other movies. I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying that uh, other, I mean, the director, again, in the same article, I think it was on IndieWire, um, he said that they filmed it over a two-day period. It was a prosthetic leg, and it looked real. And <laughs> while she was, he said that her acting was so good that some of the stage crew passed out mm-hmm. from watching her performance on The Rock while she's tending to this wound. So it was, I guess, an impressive part of the uh, overall story. And if, if you fell for it or if you were into it, then I, I can see it making that big of an impact. But I don't know in terms of it's being R-rated. I didn't think that was the worst thing that I, was happening on there. I mean, they show some other stuff, but it's a lot quicker. I, I, don't, I don't get affected by blood and guts. I, I can take a much more clinical view of it. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I find it more fascinating to see the inside of, uh, you know, of a body and just how all that stuff connects and everything. I guess maybe because they didn't show a whole lot of fleshy white stuff. Like I had my arms split open once when I was a kid mm. and I saw the sides before it started bleeding and it, you mm. know, the fat and all. And I saw the individual vessels filled with blood. You can see the depth of the wound. Stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And we're so, probably making some of our audience a little green <laughs> in the gills right know. now. Hopefully. Uh, I, I don't know. I thought that scene though was really effective and, some of the MacGyver-esque solutions that she comes up with, not just in that scene, but throughout the whole movie, I kind of liked. Mm-hmm. You know, I, The procedural I, elements. Yeah, you know, I I, right. I could dig those things right. with it. I was surprised because this movie was on the 2014 uh, Blacklist yeah, as but, one of the top screenplays that was unproduced. And, you know, was, generally those films are considered unproducible. And to me... Uh, this seems like a no-brainer movie to do. Well, I think that they m- might not have been considering how how much you relied on CGI. And then I think there was something like 1,100 or 1,200 shots, individual shots in the movie. And you have to plan that out pretty meticulously. So Yes, and I think the director took B-level fare and elevated it, did it very well. Mm. But I could see this as a direct-to-video type movie. Oh, you know, at least yeah. the screenplay and, and the whole idea. The execution of this, I think we're both in agreement Without, on, technically is excellent. Yeah, the production values. And then there's some small touches, like you said, with the Instagram and the FaceTime mm-hmm. and the social stuff. But there's also the integration of music and sound while they're above the waves. And then when they go underwater, that sort of disappears and it creates this weird ephemeral world mm-hmm. of... Uh, and like it is when you're really swimming. So... In a way, it brings you right there into the scene. So, yeah, but if I was reading the things. screenplay and I'm a producer, I'm going, yeah, you know, this is a no-brainer. We can get this done for yeah. in the teens. But yeah, but then it looks like, uh, well, it was done in the teens. Uh, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I I don't understand why this was on the blacklist. When I see so many other movies where I go, really, you're going to make that? You think that's going to be a hit? Well, do you think this movie would be as good if it weren't for Blake Lively? I mean, I. Th- I'm of the. I always ask, ask these questions, and then I don't want the space to answer. But given the fact that she's so effective in this role, can you think of another actress that would have been able to perform the same sort of have the same sort of physicality 
and then also emotional resonance. Yeah, I, I feel like there are quite a few people that could do it. Uh, the girl from me and Earl and the dying girl. Really? Yeah. If, if this movie was made 10 years or probably more like 15 years earlier, like a Jennifer Gardner type could have done this. Really? Yeah. I feel like a lot of people could have done this. Not to say that Blake Lively didn't do a nice mm. job with the role. I, I enjoyed the acting performance. Well, my fiance, Tony said she really wants to see this movie. Although she feels sorry for the shark. <laughs> She really wants to see this movie, but she viewed it as just an opportunity for them to show Blake Lively's body. There are some shots that linger, yeah. but at the same time, like when she's splayed out on the rock, you have to show her suffering and she is wearing a bikini and she's a beautiful woman. It's hard to pose her in a way that's not going to linger on some aspect of her body. Yeah, but my original question was how many people have that combination? Of looks and physicality and uh, emotional uh, abilities, I, I don't think there are many actresses out there. And I think I if you any other, I'm actress, willing to find out. <laughs> I can't. I I was trying on the way home. I was thinking, who would, who would I, who would, who could take this role and do the same sort of things? Like some of my favorite actresses don't necessarily have that surfer body or that surfer look. Elizabeth Olsen. <sighs> I'm trying to think someone who's you know in their twenties, uh, yeah, kind of tall. Life. You don't think she could have done this? Not, not to the same extent. I think that this is she's perfectly suited to this role. It's like the perfect combination of role and actress. And I, I think that you know, but that you know, I suppose there are others. Did and, she do her own surfing for large portions no, of I this? I think that no, she had surfing doubles. So then there were like face replacements yeah, on that and face replacement. Because I mean, some of those shots, I'm like, holy crap, she can really surf. And I thought mm-hmm. she was kind of the surfer chick in Hollywood for a number of years. Yeah, I'm sure that she surfs. I mean, she can at least ride on a surfboard. But I don't I don't think she did all the stunts. I oh, mean, no, I know no, she didn't no, do all, all the stunts. Them, I looked but... into it. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the movie, and I'm surprised that you thought I wouldn't. I, I wanted to see this movie. This was on my top five list. Okay, you have seen other movies, and you've wanted to see them, and you have not liked them. And generally, the simple, you know, thriller... Uh, is the type of film you don't really go for. And but, I mean, you called this a, a, a not a closed door. Pocket drama. Pocket, pocket drama. drama. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that the fact that it's a pocket drama makes it better. See, I, I was thinking of it more like North by Northwest, where Cary Grant you know, is almost killed by the crop duster, and Alfred Hitchcock loved the idea of a man in a giant open space oh, yeah, with yeah, nothing yeah. around him being no. murdered, or you know, the attempted murder. And this is much in the same way. Right, You're in but the that's middle just one scene. I'm I'm saying pocket drama is yeah. one person, one location with one conflict. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, that's the, the basic outline of the movie. She doesn't have to go, like, in North by Northwest, he has to go and fight Martin Landau, you know, or he has to fall off of a certain yeah. know, bridge or... But to me, the inspiration is, is like much that. more... This is the crop duster from North by Northwest. It's if, that's if you, if that's you could the make most a, direct comparison. If you could make an 87-minute movie out of the crop duster... <laughs> scene then yeah but i don't think that you could very well so this movie has uh i mean it has the, the opportunity to go in different directions mm-hmm. so but i liked it all right i am glad for that so it might even make my top five list oh for the first half of the year so far all right. uh but i do think that i mean there's some stuff that you wanted to get at me with my argument and spoilers. Right. So I need to remind the listeners or are you gonna 
Oh, for spoilage? Or are we just going to wait until we... Let's just go right into spoilers, then. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll All right, so how am I full of crap? You said the shark didn't have the proper motivation for going after Blake Lively, that it was more the shark hated humans. No, in the movie, they set up that the shark has been attacked before. Yes. And the shark displays a an intense animosity towards Blake Lively and circles her rock over three days, two or three days. Two days, yeah. When there's a giant whale not far away that it could be eating. Yeah, it's protecting its kill, the whale. and it's Protecting it from the 87 And, it, and when it's circling... It's circling the shark, and Blake Lively even says when she's filming... Circling the whale? It's circling the whale and the rock and the buoy. See, that I, I, whole didn't area. See it. I, didn't, I didn't see it like that. But when Blake Lively is recording her message to her father, and you know what's happened to her, she says she got too close to the shark's feeding ground, and that's why it attacked her. That She maybe, explains that, and then she's never able to really get that far away from the whale eh. because she's stuck on the rock, and you see the shark... There's one overhead shot, and you can tell that the shark is circling not just the rock, but also the whale. No, Both I, of I those objects are within its circling pattern. I, I, I don't... No, I, I, the shark is... there. The whale is much farther away than those other... Than the buoy and the The buoy the is rock. further away from the rock than the shark... Or than the whale is. Yeah, the, 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 the shark would not be paying a whole lot of attention triangle. to the... To the girl that escapes from it and gets on top of a rock. And it wouldn't notice that the girl was on the rock. Unless it had a malevolent evil nature. No, 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 no. Every time she gets back in the water, they're very careful to show that she's letting blood into the water. And then they cut to the shark shark reacting and coming at her. It smells the blood in the water. Two drop from a broken hand, from a hand cut. It doesn't provide the proper motivation from a giant whale that's floating... 300 yards away. It's blood in the water. It's reacting to the blood in the water. It, right, in the movie, it's enough. very careful to show the water's becoming bloody and the sh- and they Blake cut Lively. to the shark and it, it it's clear that the shark is reacting then to the blood. I mean, that's the whole idea of cross-cutting, right? Blake Lively also says that when she sees it and she, she gets the... Uh, somehow she gets a look at it through the found footage uh, helmet or whatever. She sees that it has a hook in it. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh... They've attacked you before. Human beings have attacked you before. Something along, I'm paraphrasing there. And to me, that was the motivation that they were trying to set up for this whale to, con- or this shark to continue to go after her and to continue to uh, sort of, you know, <laughs> menace her like a ghost in a horror movie. Okay. And to me, it just, it didn't ring true. It was ridiculous. That, that's one, but I do think there's another plausible thing that they do set up and that I've tried to defend. And maybe the prequel will... When they film that, will show us just how badly this shark was traumatized by some humans. Oh, you think there's going to be a prequel? That's where you got to go. <laughs> That's the point, though. Even if it was trauma, even if it were traumatized by humans, it wouldn't have it out for this one girl. Isn't think. that why Jaws Two exists? Is because know, it's like Mama's Revenge. Thank you for making my point for me, because I said Jaws Two was a horrible movie compared to Jaws One. And wait, doesn't that all go back to classical literature and Beowulf? <laughs> no. Yeah, I thought it's all about Mama's revenge. That doesn't... Okay, so this shark in this movie is a mama getting revenge on Blake Lively. 
for being hot and beautiful. No, we're linking it's that back Cersei to Jaws Lannister. too. You're, 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 you're trying to I know, to but I use the Jaws 2 as an example of why it was a bad movie. It and links that was back my to point. classical so literature. I'm thank sorry, you for making you my cannot, point for me. You're not it is more like Jaws 2 than Jaws 1, and that's why I don't like it as much. Are you going to keep talking over me when yeah. I try and say something funny? <laughs> to make a point. I, I'm sorry you can't appreciate the classics. Simple storytelling at its best. All right. This is the other problem I have with the movie. The tide that's so important mm-hmm. doesn't matter because she doesn't really have, well, it matters at one point, but then it doesn't matter as much in the first two or three cycles. That's And then the last cycle, it's it sort of covers most of the rock and then she decides she has to get off the rock. But for the first two or three cycles... Eh, not so much. I, I know you're saying cycles, but there was some line of dialogue early on that there are only two tides a day here. Right, but she was there for two days, so there's high tide. It was low into tide. the second night. How many feet? Okay, I, I know here in Virginia, you know, like when I worked on the Potomac River, tide, uh, high tide to high tide was twelve and a half hours, roughly. Right. So, but. Something in the back of my brain is saying that's not the way tide works all over the world because it's tied to how the moon affects the water. And I was tempted to look up that whole thing of how tides work, but I want to say, I, I'm not high I'm tide not, to high I'm tide not, across the world is not. I'm not getting caught hours. up in the in the time. The time thing could be it, it is what it is because she mentioned you saw on her watch high tide in six hours and then high tide and then low tide in whatever hours. I'm not caught up, hung up as much on the time as I am on the amount or the distance or the depth that the water falls to or rises to during those stages. When it's low tide, it's pretty much the same height on the rock as it is when it's high tide. It dropped three feet. It, it dropped, it should drop a lot more than that. If it's Uh, again, it depends where you are in the world. (laughs) Tide okay. stuff, it doesn't have it, to And it to doesn't drop much. three feet. And then only one time during high tide was it covering the rock. Or did it get to the point where most of her body was in the water? And then that's when she has to get off of it and go to the buoy. So even if it does it, even if it's only three feet, and then that one time that it is three feet, how come it wasn't that uh, at the first high tide? The first time when it's high tide. It, it, they seem to set it up that the first high tide was at about 5 o'clock, 5.30. And then it seems like it's a whole 24 hours before you have another high tide or a little bit over that. And she isn't forced to leave the the rock until the end of that second day, right about the same time. All right. And and again, I'm not 100% sure. I wasn't willing to look up all the time stuff, but I do think tide can vary by where you are in the world and geography, a a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. Possibly. I mean, hopefully it wouldn't because... The other thing is, they could have had this whole story occur over an eight-hour window. But they didn't. So They chose I'm, not to. I'm hoping that they checked and made sure, oh, yeah, yeah, that does work. Because they could have I compressed the events checked. and it could have worked. I mean, and worse than the time than the tide stuff is she wraps a tourniquet around her leg. And she has that on for like 24 hours. Your leg's dead. Yeah, well, they do. I'm, I'm going to act like you. She releases it sometimes. Yeah, and for she mentions two minutes, that ooh, yeah. gangrene might start to be setting in, and then they show her 
wiggling her toes. I think they do a better job with that than they do with the Tide thing. I'm saying that is a bit stretch on medicine. And I mean, if you're applying a tourniquet, it's because you're having massive blood loss and you've got to do something more than um, using two earrings to close up the wound. (laughs) But she removed the tourniquet and put on a compression bandage. Yeah. Why didn't she use the thread in the... That's uh, where I thought she was going. Yeah, I didn't get that. Uh, I don't know. I I thought it was kind of interesting. But then I thought, yeah, if you've got this uh, wetsuit on, you'd be better off just using that as a compression bandage. You don't really need the stitches. Right. You know, the stitches are to help promote healing and close up the wound. You're just trying to keep pressure on it so it doesn't bleed. Those are... Minor points, and rarely do we ever get well, medicine right in movies. Right. I, I was able to suspend my disbelief on that. I didn't like the title of the stuff, and I also didn't like the fact that there were these tremendous waves that she was surfing on at the beginning of the movie. But then they only occur again when the man do Fisher bros come back, and then they want to go surfing. So they go out beyond the breaker or whatever, and then there's these giant waves again that... Oh, that's obscure her vision and obscure. Like I, I couldn't see how she could be on top of this rock and then have her vision obscured by giant waves, which and the, when they weren't crashing over her throughout the rest of the movie. She's past where the waves break and they build. I mean, you, yeah. you, that's just from having the the ground come up very suddenly. That's what generates. But if the that's wave if that's the towards. case, then she would have seen that giant whale out there long before she got to that rock. If she's out past the breakers. So, uh, yeah, you know, the problem I, with the waves or the lack of the, waves the, and the stillness the of the water. The whale does get there a little. That's not completely explained. Maybe the shark dried it in. Maybe it was the tide bringing it in. I don't know. All right. Now but that then we're it shouldn't it. stay there. Yeah. Now that we're on to it. Uh oh. Now that you brought it up. What happens to the fat, drunk Mexican? He died. How come they didn't see him? They the did. The man do surfer bros. Oh, he was off on the side. They were they were on the other side of the beach. They drove past her backpack. Uh-huh. They had to drive past her backpack to get back to where they were. They weren't paying attention. To the giant Mexican dead on the beach. He was off in the corner. Okay. You can pass that off as much as you can. I thought maybe it was a fever dream of hers and that it didn't happen at all. No, because they show later on the kid and uh, the guy who drove her out there originally. They, they see that body. Yeah. All right. Well, the man dude, the surfer dude, bros has seen that body as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Well, my thing is when someone goes, "There's a shark," you see them on this rock, and they're going, "Yeah, no sharks here." And, and that's what I thought was going to be the joke about the name of the uh, little inlet, which we don't ever find out. I thought it was going to be Shark Bay. <laughs> yeah, it's just Shark Beach. I thought that was going to be the joke. Well, where did the drunk Mexican come from? Did he wash ashore or he's just wandering he around? He just out there? wandered out. This there. is the most deserted, highly populated beach. It's a beautiful world. beach. So, anyway. She's also the world's dumbest uh, medical school dropout. If she thought that she could get an Uber from the most secluded beach in the world that doesn't even really have a name, then, uh, you know, she's not that smart. She's not that brilliant. You don't think she was just using that as an excuse to get away from the guy? How was she going to get home? Walk? Okay. She could have walked there, I suppose. No, they had a thing. They had a connection. Okay. Fair enough. One last thing. (laughs) Jesus. All right. Do flare bullets float? I don't know. I don't think they do. They do in this movie, which is a good thing because it allowed her to take off her 
at one point she has to uh, towards the end of the movie she's able to take off her jacket again so that you can see her bikini top so that she can stretch out and get the flare bullets oh and then she sets the ocean on fire yeah that was the fat from the whale oh the fat from the, the whale blubber. i didn't know it was that f- i didn't know that that's what it was i thought that maybe there was gasoline or something we used to use whale oil to lamp <laughs> right. or to light lamps Right, but that, I didn't see any discoloration. I didn't see any reason. F- it didn't. Well, the, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. The whale's on fire. No, the shark is on fire. The, the shark world. gets on fire, but the because he's in the middle of that. And I right, thought, right. Oh, that's uh-huh. great. Yes, yeah, set something on fire that's in the middle of a bunch of water. I mean, she had enough dialogue to explain how she's fixing the seagull's arm. How how about a line of dialogue to say what you're setting on fire there? I mean, it sets up a pretty cool vision. I read Moby Dick. I could follow it. Again, they set the ocean on fire in Moby Dick. I knew that whales make oil. Okay. It's fatty. It would have made more sense for her to like pour out some gasoline from the buoy or something. That there's some fluid on the buoy that she can set the... Whatever. At that point, I was just enjoyed. All right. And, you know, what you if... don't expect to see aquatic life set on fire. So I'm glad that the movie showed me that visual. Shark. I'm all about fire the icon. shark. <laughs> uh, all right. Those are some of the problems that I had with the movie. But overall, I enjoyed it. So it was I did a decent too. movie. I, I, you know, and I gave you a hard time about having all these things at the end that upset you. But you gave me classic Lusk. You were a little too positive early on. So these were all the things I was waiting for you to I wouldn't have sp- bemoan earlier on. <laughs> I wouldn't have put it out there in the beginning. You're she like, is oh, stupid. Like this. She is stupid. She's stupid. Her all of her reasons and all of her motivations are just. She's dumb. not stupid. She's a survivor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Weren't you expecting her to stitch together her wound with the chain that she was wearing? Yeah, that I thought that's where they were going. Yeah. But I thought the earring thing was kind of cool. Really, hmm. it worked for me. Right. I hadn't seen it before. It was inventive. All right, there you go. So the listeners want to know about the box office challenge. Yeah, it's pretty much over at this point. Should we even call it a challenge? <laughs> The box office debacle or massacre of 2016. So my second pick ended up with $42 million this weekend. Well done, sir. Uh, Which is higher than two of your other picks. but They weren't my second choice. (laughs) No. Independence Day. What a letdown, man. I didn't help out the cause much because I didn't go see it either. You knew it was bad when they didn't screen it in advance. Yeah, they didn't even screen it on Thursday. There was no screeners available for the press. And it's still got 34%. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, or whatever it is now, who knows? It might be down to 20, 22% for all I know. The big number that you have to worry yourself with is 42, $42 million. Bad. That's yep. a, it's my, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the debacle upon which all my other. Don't feel bad. And I get to um, extend my lead. Yeah, right now you have uh well you still have three hundred and twenty eight million and I only have two hundred and fifty million. My per film average just dropped ten million per and, film. And I'm about to take a big old leap again because I got the BFG this weekend as my box office bomb. Yeah, but you hope that it bombs, so uh, it's got a hundred and forty million dollar production budget. We don't know. And we're just taking its opening weekend. But we won't know about that until August twelfth, when my movie bombs. But I still get those, I still get those money points. Right? No, only if only if yours is less than my. Oh, I thought that. Oh, I thought you had to have the biggest against, flop and get. Oh, I thought we both got no, the no money. I, oh, so I can get nothing. Right. 
Oh wow! That's that's the way that. Uh, oh wow! That, that's the way I de- that's the way I described it earlier, and you agreed to it a couple of shows ago. So I get nothing if my. So yeah, you, but you get so everything. You could really get nine or nine films compared to my seven. But you could get nine films compared to my seven. Oh wow! Yeah, that's how it works. That's wow. Those are the, those are the official rules that you agree really? to. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to the audio on that. I thought we both got those points. No, no, not at all. You don't get to add if yours. If mine well, oh, is the yeah. bigger flop. Uh, yeah, because clearly we're not getting to keep our points for our top seven movies. If my first how would movie does better than me? your number one how movie, would it, how would it benefit st- me to pick out the bigger flop? Because you get more points. Because no. it, it's versus its production budget. No. I don't understand why you get to... If, if your flop's bigger than mine, you get the flop points. Why but if you, my number one pick is bigger than your number one, you still get your number one points. Why? But why are, Why is it so confusing to you? Because this is what we agreed to earlier. And now you want to go back sure on that's it. that's what I agreed to. Oh, wow. You want to go back on it now? All right, fine. Interesting. Must be scared. Yeah, I'm not going to just give you a hundred million. How are you freebie. giving me anything? You haven't even we haven't even those haven't even gone yet. You you could potentially you could add another forty million to your total. All right, all you could be up to three hundred and sixty eight million. Change the rules. I'm not changing the rules. I'm I'm clarifying the rules. I don't think you have much to worry about there, Mister uh, Bull. If I give I you a hundred million, because I mean, if you get credit for Peach Dragon and I don't get any credit for BFG. That's a big swing. Oh, mine's a bigger flop. That's right. That's why they're wild cards. Same thing with Lights Out and Mike, Mike and Dave. Whichever one has the highest percentage of its growth or of its uh, production value. Whichever one is higher. And you get whatever those points are. Yeah. You get the difference. I even wrote it down. Wait, wait, wait. The, the difference between its production budget and what it makes. Right. Why don't you just get whatever, why don't you just get the difference between both films? I don't know, as long as it benefits me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever way is going to benefit, benefit me the most. That's what Yeah, I, I, I think my loser points should negate whatever your winner points are. You just get the extra then. Look, you could average 30 million in these next three films, and I would have to average 80 million in my next three films in order to even be equal. So I don't think you have much to worry about there. Yeah, I don't want to give you 100 million. Yeah, you agreed to it. <laughs> It's too bad. For not you. like that. All right. You agreed to it. All right. What's the you next go back show? And listen. What's the next show? <laughs> I'm sure the listeners are tired of this rat hole. Uh, next show is uh, number 158.5. We're going to review a documentary for our first time the movie Tickled, which is about being tickled. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah, we were very lucky to hook up with Dylan Reeve, one of the directors of the film, and he got us a screener copy. So. We're very excited. Uh, this film did incredibly well at Sundance and is being talked about quite a bit. Very highly rated on IM, or IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. Metacritic scores up there, too. Could be the next Jinx. Probably that's what it compares most oh, directly really? to. Well, is it HBO Films? It is an HBO film. So too. if it doesn't get a theatrical release, it will be on HBO. Yeah, I bet this gets shown on HBO at some point. I mean, it's in limited theaters more all the time. Right. Uh, kind of slowly rolling out throughout the summer, but so we're going to give our take on so. it in a little mini review. Uh, One fifty-eight point five. It's coming out sometime this week. If you were asked to name the most famous marine biologist, 
living marine biologist, who would you name? Uh, I have no idea. Well, 78% of people named marine biologist George Costanza. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So I started to walk into the water. I won't lie to you boys, I was terrified, but I pressed on. And as I made my way past the breakers, a strange calm came over me. I don't know if it was divine intervention or the kinship of all living things, but I tell you, Jerry, at that moment, I was a marine biologist. The sea was angry that day, my friends, like an old man trying to send back soup at a deli. So for Mr. Two... It's been a Mr. Two-Face over there! I'm, I'm the L-Train. How's that boat, everybody? There be dragons. you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash thelaughpodcast. The best comments will get read on a future show.